My name is Olga. I am from Ukraine originally, but I've been living in Milan for almost a year now. And um, now the main thing that I do is uh, the startup club. First of all, thanks for, for being on the podcast. And, uh, tell me a little bit before we go into anything more personal about this startup club. Okay, so I have joined this initiative actually a couple of months ago and I've been leading it here in Milan ever since. It's a platform, a community which is present all around the world that connects entrepreneurs with investors and other key players in the startup ecosystem. And I've created the Startup Club Pitch Night event, which is um, kind of a monthly or bi-monthly um, meeting that allows startups to pitch their ideas in front of a group of investors and uh, startups advisors or mentors and other entrepreneurs to get some feedback and also to network and get important connections. And these kind of uh, events, are you trying to get more angel investors or venture capitalists? Actually, we work half-half. Um, I could say because I think that different startups have um, different needs at different stages of uh, their development and we are very inclusive so at our events we have startups that are more of an idea development stage and also the startups that already have their product uh, present on the market so for that reason we also try to invite uh, various investors to you know connect uh, people with the different interests. How do you see the ecosystem here working? Do you find it that people are more willing to invest in something that is just an idea? Or are they just putting their money on actual products with something tangible that they can already test? You know how they often say that um, you don't invest in a business idea, but you invest actually in the founders. Right. And uh, I think that this is uh, very true for Milan as well. Uh, it, I wouldn't be able to tell you that people invest more in this kind of venture or in this kind of stage, but I think that what matters more is the personal connection, uh, because at the events that I hosted, I know that uh, some startups have already met the certain investors or have already, I know, connected with uh, certain funds, and um, you know this is uh, what brings the most attraction and the most results, kind of the personal connections. So most of the people that show are, let's say, smaller startups? At our events, yes. I, I would say, as an average, it's a early stage, uh, yeah, earlier stage startups. And which kind of companies are you getting now? Because I do see a trend that, I mean, I guess that's uh, everywhere, but tech startups are being a thing more than any other kind of startup. Is that also true here? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, these days everything is um, is digital, so um, all of our startups actually um, that we hosted were digital. For example, we had a wine subscription service where online you can um, uh, subscribe and every uh, month you get a new box with uh, different Italian wines. So it's um, in a way very traditional service because you know the culture of wine here in Italy is very important and um, discovering something new and connecting with new uh, wineries is something very traditional and very personal but 
even this service can be digitalized. So, yeah. in a way, uh, to answer your question, yes, most of the startups are are tech startups, and um, we had um, companies like It's Ready, so it's uh, already working quite well here in Milan. So you basically it's um, kind of a service where you can reserve uh, the lunch or the dinner that you're going to have and uh, when you go to the place you can just pick it up without waiting and I mean they have many other features uh, so things like that um, are you know the startups that are booming here in Milan. And which kind of things did you see that are not digital? Have there been any examples that caught your eye? Uh, actually in terms of not digital startups I'm not even uh, I'm not even sure where um, what example can I give you because um, I think also like one of the definition of a startups goes that it's connected to with the internet right that it's kind of uh, based in in the internet and the digital ecosystem well i would say that i have been uh, i've known of companies that start doing roundings of funding that in the end are trying to create something that is let's say analog in a way uh, okay, maybe, for example, maybe this is not the best example, but the, the subscription boxes that you were talking about with yeah. wine, right? We've seen those in America for a long time, for, for anything, uh, from t-shirts to socks to food, no? But then, for people, yeah, it's a convenient factor that there is associated with having something delivered without you even having to deal with it and having something to discover. But then you get something physical, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's all these companies who are doing those physical products for this yeah. digital brand. So let's say something that is not just an app. Yeah, fair enough. I think actually um, there was one example of a startup that's not completely digital um, that I can uh, yeah, give you. Um, they were at the last event, it was Hotbox. Um, yeah, Hotbox. Um, and uh, what they did is they created kind of a um, those boxes uh, that Deliveroo and Uber Eats and all of those companies use. Uh, basically, they created a highly upgraded version of it uh, that can really like protect your food really well and um, create the right temperature um, and the right conditions for the food to arrive in the perfect state to your house. So what they do is um, yeah, they basically sell or rent those boxes to uh, restaurants and to companies, to different food delivery companies. But, you know, I think in my head, it's still connected to the digital. So it's always like this kind of business wouldn't maybe necessarily exist without the presence of all of those apps. Right, that they're, we have they're providing a service in a way to something else that is uh, completely digital. That's true. And on the other hand, which kind of people do you see that are taking this risk of investing in some of these startups? Is there like a pattern? Are, are there just other businesses trying to acquire or invest money on smaller businesses or individuals? I mean, I think it all always starts with kind of more individual investment. Um, you know, the earlier stage startups, they always kind of run on uh, either personal investment of the founders or an investment of, uh, you know, an acquaintance uh, who wanted to put money in the idea. Um, and uh, at the later stage, of course, it's uh, usually business angels who come in. Here uh, in Milan, uh, we actually work closely with Italian Angels for Growth. It's kind of a, the, one of the biggest associations here in Italy of uh, business angels, and uh, they've uh, 
um, they've come to our events in the past. Um, so for for them, of course, early stage ventures are the most interesting because also um, business angels invest a bit uh, lesser amounts than uh, than the funds usually. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> Going back a bit, uh, let's say to to the beginning of this. So you you've been doing this for I don't know how long, and you had some experience before that. You said you were in London. Yes, correct. Working for a magazine? Uh, yes, exactly. Well, in London, I was actually uh, doing my bachelor's back then. And um, for the longest time, I thought that I was going to go into banking when I graduate. So I had my mind uh, very strictly uh, set on that career path. But then actually, I happened to intern in a bank and uh, see how it is on the inside. And uh, I've just realized that um, maybe I should look into a different career path because it wasn't an environment that wasn't that was um, very motivating or um, you know ambitious and I wanted something uh, better for myself perhaps so I um, then next summer interned in the magazine and uh, I still continue a very close relationship with them uh, so it was it's called a glass magazine it's based in London and Hong Kong um, and uh, they do uh, quite interesting things. I mean, it's a lifestyle and fashion magazine. Um, but I had uh, such a great experience there. And um, that's why I decided to continue my journey, not in banking, but uh, in something, let's say, more, more creative. And you covered some events, lifestyle events here in Milan for them at some point, or? Yes, well, here in Milan, I'm the only one uh, from the magazine that uh, uh, lives in Italy. So I've uh, been the one uh, covering all the Milan Fashion Week events, uh, which has been uh, really exciting because um, I also got to see that part of um, Milan life that is usually very hyped up in the public. Um, you know, the city gets uh, so busy and everyone is uh, uh, so... The excitement is in the air, you know, but... Uh, Actually, normal, I mean, people from the street, you can't uh, get uh, invited to all of those uh, events. And uh, I think I've been really lucky with the opportunity to, I know, see this world from the inside and um, go to so many different shows and presentations. And it's uh, really an amazing atmosphere. And uh, you see Milan in a bit of a different angle when uh, you are able to do all of this. And do you have any kind of uh, comparison that you could do with when you were in London, some experience that was similar? Uh, you mean in terms of uh, like fashion events? Um, actually in London I I didn't get to go to so many of them because uh, it was kind of uh, when I started in the summer it was a bit of a dry period, no, not too many things were happening. It was uh, before the fashion week. Um, but um, of course, London is, um, I think, more saturated with younger designers as well, um, like British-based or from uh, around the world. But I think um, also, you know, you have these areas in London like uh, Shoreditch, uh, East London is, uh, is very young, is very um, energetic, and you have uh, so many contemporary designers that you wouldn't have heard about before but uh, when you go to London Fashion Week there are a lot of events that allow you to discover something new. In Milan of course there are also uh, many young designers but Milan is uh, more traditional you can 
say, of course, all the main fashion brands are based here. So, One thing I always hear about that uh, when people come, they have certain expectations. Uh, maybe even people who have had experiences with Fashion Week or some kind of events in other countries. And there's always this thing that everybody mentions that this, in a way, Milan feels like the keyword would be exclusivity somehow. It's yes. not as open, perhaps, as it would be somewhere else. Yeah, that's um, kind of what I, meant, what I meant before when I said, uh, like, it's not very easy to actually get uh, access to this kind of events. Um, in London, for example, uh, after the Fashion Week, after the main one, you have, uh, um, I don't remember exactly the name, but you have basically, like, Younger Fashion Week. And for that one, you can easily buy tickets online and you can go see um, as I said like some smaller younger designers some uh, designers from the from the fashion schools that are based in London and uh, it's maybe yes more democratized and more open in Milan um, I mean it's also because um, in Milan you have those bigger brands and they need to maintain the image and they also can't possibly um, let everyone in so yeah. I mean, Milan is also a smaller city, so that's another thing. That's true, but then we get these events like Design Week or Fashion Week, where mm -hmm. there's just... Even that tourism that it attracts, even for people that come and they don't have any invitations, but they just come because there's a lot of events that go around with the, with the week, you know? No, exactly. I think the Design Week, I really loved it because it was... Uh, very open and it was happening all around Milan so this is something that I really enjoyed because in design week I think it's more open than the fashion week you can literally walk around the city center and uh, you will see a courtyard and a little sign and you go in and you see uh, some uh, I know different uh, textiles exposed or different uh, furniture or um, even art and fashion as well but uh, it was more you could walk around the whole day and you could discover something new so I think design week in, in that sense is the event to uh, go to Milan to if you're uh, planning to travel here rather than the fashion week right and it's, it's just not only for young people right there's so many things to see, there's so many things to do, besides the events and parties and free wine. Uh, I think there's a bit of something for everybody. What else do you like about Milan that you think is quite particular? Is there something that maybe gave you an impression, good or bad? <laughs> I mean, I think the lifestyle in Milan is, of course, very different from London. Uh, and uh, coming here after it was a really big uh, contrast because um, here the life is uh, definitely way more relaxed and, uh, uh, you know, people are way more relaxed. And uh, something that I learned since I arrived is uh, it's okay to be late, for example, <laughs> because, uh, you know, um, me usually I always arrive uh, on time or even before the time of the meeting. But uh, since I'm here, I realized that, uh, you know, I shouldn't stress out about being on time because the other person is never going to be. So, um, yes, but I also like it because, um, as I said, I think it uh, allows you to breathe a bit more and uh, you can you know, have a bit more of a life here than in London where it's uh, very, very busy. Right, and then for Italians, is it always a matter of perspective, right? Because Italians always say that Milan is 
very busy and very fast right. and uh, not very relaxing at all. So, yeah, I think um, compared to Italian, like other cities and the countryside, of course, uh, Milan is uh, the metropolis. But um, I mean, the lucky thing about living here as well, that you can have the both. You can have the city that's a bit more busy and um, you have uh, all the business center here. But also one hour or two hours from Milan, you have all of those amazing places where you can uh, travel and you can see something really traditionally Italian. And uh, this is... Uh... Have you been able to travel around? Yeah, actually, I think in um, in a bit less than a year, I, I've been lucky to see many places. Um, so, I mean, Florence. Um, Any place specifically that was special? Um, yeah, actually, um, about a week ago, I went to Portofino for the first time. And uh, that was a very special experience for me because um, I've heard about it, I mean, from uh, from friends and uh, I would always see some pictures and on social media. But uh, when you're there in person, it's a completely different experience. I think it, it really took my breath away to to see this uh, magical view and uh, uh, to... And there, the life is also seems so simple when you go into this little village and you see the people who probably work there for um i mean they live there since they were born and uh, they work there their family for generations and generations and uh, for them it's uh, such like a simple lifestyle especially people the fishermen uh, who live there and i know you come there and you're so fascinated by the beauty and for them they live in this beauty so it's a completely different uh, yeah, way of, uh, of living and of seeing life. And uh, one question that I always ask everybody is uh, how do you take your coffee? Well, uh, now that I'm here with you, I took an espresso. <laughs> and uh, this is a habit that I picked up uh, since I'm in Milan. Um, because uh, I think it's a very social thing to I know, go with someone in a bar uh, even for 15 minutes and uh, have a quick uh, cafe, espresso. But um, me, usually I drink cappuccino. This is something that I need to start my day with. Otherwise, it's uh, not a good day. <laughs> so you changed to espresso here or do you still ask for cappuccino? No, I still have, a, let's say I became a bit more Italian in that way because I asked for cappuccino in the morning and espresso in ah, the okay. afternoon. So you learned uh, <laughs> cappuccino is for breakfast rule. Yes, I had to <laughs> unfortunately switch to this uh, kind of uh, lifestyle. But you know, it's uh, the culture of coffee here is uh, so different from what I've been used to before. Uh, when I lived in London, I would, uh, you know, wake up in the morning, rush out of the house and um, pick up um, like a cup of cappuccino in uh, Starbucks or Preta Mangé there and just drink it on the way while I'm walking to university or like even in, in the lecture hall. But um, here it's more of a process. I even either I'm at home or even I'm in a cafe, I sit down and I have my cup of coffee and then I can go and do my own thing. Have you ever been to Italy before? Uh, once. No, actually twice. No, what am I talking about? Yeah. When you were younger? Um, like when I was uh, still in my bachelor. So, ah, so, you, came, so you came to visit? And, uh... I didn't uh, come here to specifically like visit to see if I want to study here, but just 
Just like that. So on vacations. Yeah, basically. And how is your experience compared from seeing Italy like as a tourist and then seeing Italy as someone who's working here and living here? I think that uh, when you're a tourist, you see Italy as this magical place. And of course it is because you come here. And for example, I've been to Milan once before coming to live here. And uh, I realized that the whole of my uh, five day vacation, I just stayed like in a 500 meter diameter around Duomo. Like I would never go outside of the zone. Duomo, Monte Napoleone, and that's it, you know? And you, as a tourist, you enjoy it so much. You walk around and you see, feel like, whoa, this is so beautiful. I'm seeing so many new things. But when you live here, you actually realize that this is, first of all, such a small part of Milan. And um, I mean, second of all, that it's not always uh, that uh, dreamy and uh, beautiful Italy because uh, when you live here, you have, uh, I don't know, more, more simple, more simple life. You live a bit outside of the center. But um, it's also nice in a different way because, uh, as I said, I really enjoy the lifestyle here, a bit uh, more relaxed. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit different. But uh, it really... Yeah, it opens your eyes because I think when you come here, you're so mesmerized by all the beautiful things around you and you just uh, uh, don't see that there are also I know, mundane things that are happening and uh, people actually go to work and uh, study and uh, do boring things as well. I always hear that happens to people when they go to Florence because it's even smaller than Milan mm -hmm. and it's so pretty and again not as big as Rome for yeah. example but so Florence actually there was um, I believe he was German there was a German guy who went to Florence and uh, he was mesmerized by all the beauty mm -hmm. to the point that he had like a meltdown and now there's even like a psychological term about Oh, really? About being so shocked by the beauty of Florence that you end up in the hospital. <laughs> no, I mean, I did not end up in the hospital when I went there. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful and a really special city. But I think uh, in Italy, the beauty is, uh, of course, you have uh, Florence, Venice, Rome. But you also have uh, so many small towns that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think about or you would never look them up or hear about them uh, when you're a tourist. But when you live here, you can uh, discover and um, it's, it's something magic. A um, couple of weeks ago, I went to this place um, just one hour away from Milan called Grazano Visconti. And it's this tiniest village, uh, but which is a uh, which has been saved in its original form from the medieval times. So, uh, and it's so absolutely charming to go there. It's a, you know, one of a lifetime experience because um, it's just so beautiful and there are no people there because not many people know about it, but uh, it's, you know, very, very local, very authentic experience. How do you marry these ideas of Italy being so traditional and so focused in conservation and having all these places. I mean, it's the, the country with the most uh, UNESCO sites in the world and all these things. And then working for something like, like you said, like completely tech oriented. Because in a way, Italy has been known to be quite slow to adopt technology. 
like even uh, fiber in, in fiber internet in homes was not a thing until like a couple years ago. Uh, 4G network came here like way later than other countries. And people do take time to adopt technology. No, I think uh, that is uh, very true. And uh, when I talk about, uh, you know, the startup ecosystem, I think it's uh, still a very, very small part and the percentage of uh, Italian activity. Uh, and of course, it's more developed in the cities uh, like Milan and, um, and not in the rest of the country. But um, nonetheless, it's catching up. And um, I mean, as I said, I think Italians uh, always try to marry the both things, uh, like the wine service that I spoke to you about. I mean, it uh, really picks up on that Italian tradition and, uh, and, you know, brings it to the digital age. So I think there are also, um, you know, many businesses, many ideas like that that are flowing, are floating around and uh, trying to connect the, um, the heritage of Italy um, with, uh, you know, the digitalized 21st century. So, yeah, I know that there are, even in Florence, I've heard that there is an application that allows you to um, discover, like, all the different historical sites, um, and uh, it's for tourism, and it, um, the aim is to show, you know, the beauty of Florence and uh, kind of the little hidden uh, treasured things around the city. Um, because I think the way it works is it brings you on a, on a walking path around the city. I wouldn't remember the name now. Um, but yeah, so it's possible, I think, to unite both things and uh, it, uh, it works well. And do you find that a lot of people here are doing more of, uh, let's say, getting inspired by applications or technologies that are happening elsewhere and then trying to remake them and make them work here or is there like a chance for actual proper innovation um, I mean of course a lot of uh, business models actually come from abroad because um, it's always uh, easy to take an idea and uh, to kind of replicate it in, in the local market um, but I think there are still a lot of uh, Italian ventures that are, you know, quite quite interesting by themselves. And um, it's, uh, it's not exclusive, you know, you can have kind of two similar ideas floating around in, in different regions around the world. And uh, yeah, some, some Italian startups are catching up. So you think it's a good idea for people also from other places to come here and check out? what's going on in the startup market around Milan. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly. I can't, uh, I can't give you too, too many examples, but um, I think uh, yeah, there, there are still interesting things happening in, in Italy right now. Do you think it's a matter of bringing ideas to Italy or do you see startups focusing let's say on Italy itself or are there a lot of let's say is there a big push on making these Italian ideas viable abroad um, I don't know sometimes I see that startups that start in Italy they of course want to expand in the long-term future but 
they also really focus on Italian market because uh, in Italy, as we said, it's not uh, 100% digitalized yet. So it's actually uh, quite a lot of work to, uh, for example, if you're a tech startup and you work with uh, different uh, businesses in, in the city, even in Milan, it takes uh, quite some time to actually convince people to you know, participate in your platform or uh, things like that. So um, to be actually a very successful Italian startup, it uh, takes a bit of uh, time and, and convincing to actually introduce your service, I think, in the whole of Italy. And the people who are investing right now, you think it's younger people? Both. Um, both. I think um, there are a lot of uh, young people in this ecosystem, but I think, you know, people who have actually some kind of expertise and who have the opportunity to invest are still uh, um, like have been entrepreneurs themselves since a long time. So it's a, a bit of an older generation, but actually um, it's uh, surprising to see how active they are and how uh, excited they are about everything new that's happening in Milan. And what would be some of these ideas that you have seen, maybe something that is actually working already that you would say, I would recommend you check this out? Um, well, actually, um, Square Up. So um, they've uh, been to one of um, the pitch events a couple of months ago. And um, I've um, loved their idea because I thought that it's uh, really, you know, easily implemented in Milan and also easily replicated to other cities and around the world. And I've gotten involved with them and I, I'm working with them now to, um, to help and grow their social media. Uh, what they do is um, it's a platform, um, a mobile application that um, basically serves the needs of models in Milan. To put it very, um, very shortly, it's a community of models. And um, the very basic product that they have now is uh, they allow with the application um, models to go to different places and to um, receive some services complimentary in exchange for um, sharing um, the place on social media, recommending it to uh, to their friends, etc. Um, and um, this is um, one um, example that maybe because I'm on the inside, I see exactly how well it's working. But um, since um, the launch of the app, um, just um, roughly a month ago there are now over 1000 models that are registered and are actively using the app and uh, for now there are 30 uh, venues so different restaurants and hair salons around the city but it's growing really really rapidly so you know by the end of this month there are going to be many more and um, this is um, this is one example of uh, digitalizing an industry that's been you know traditionally um very you know very maybe conservative in the way that it's been structured so like modeling you usually have an agency and um, you kind of do all your activities are structured around the agency and governed by the agency but what square does is it tries to digitalize it in a way and by starting with this application um for going to different places. Uh, then there are gonna be many more features that will allow models to work with brands um, and other creatives directly uh, and uh, not go through the agency. And have you guys felt any pushback from 
let's say recently we've had some examples about people actually like i guess we reached that point where you know bloggers started to call themselves influencers and now some of the public is like well these people are just getting stuff for free for visibility and you know how sustainable is that kind of uh, environment yeah i mean um, i think the conversation about influencers is a completely separate one because um i do believe that there's a bit of a bubble that has been forming for uh, quite some time and uh, it, uh, it is maybe threatened to blow up at some point um i don't know in the basic idea of it is um something you know very logical because if uh, i'm an influencer and um you know i have many followers and people really engage with me and people like what i do and people listen to my advices because my advices and like some specific passion are are good then um, it's a good thing, it's beneficial if a brand um, gives me an item for free and I um, advertise it for them and uh, it works for both parties. But uh, now there's definitely oversaturation of, uh, of this activity. So. Uh, yeah, but also the question is, for example, let's say, because at least here on Italian Digest, we try to, let's say, the things that we feature or promote or whatever, and many things that we buy ourselves and we use ourselves before we actually can recommend someone, right? So every person that I guess it's an influencer in a way, small or big, you're kind of an editor of what you're putting out, yeah. right? But then if you are in a platform like this and then you are saying like, okay, I'm a model and I go to this salon, but maybe I've never been before. Mm -hmm. I'm constrained to share that I went there because I got this service already for free. So I have to do it. So it's not maybe something that I like mm -hmm. and use and would recommend. It's more like I have to. No, actually, the way that uh, the application works is a bit more, um, let's say, maybe just and equitable than that, mm -hmm. because you have a credit system inside the app. So um, you get credits for sharing different reviews and for sharing on your social media, and you spend credits on uh, on to going to those different places. But it's you're not obliged, for example, if you went uh, to a salon and you didn't like the service, you're by no means um, are obliged to post something about this place. Uh, because, of course, we want to make it fair and um, um, you know, usually the places that uh, are edited on the app, we kind of know them and we know that they're nice. But if right, so you guys are the editors in this in this situation, um, you are yes, you are choosing which places way, you are yes, collaborating with and yes, all this. But way. then, as an influencer that is on the platform, then my options, let's say, if I want to go get a haircut, right? Then maybe I'm not looking at a hundred places now. Maybe I'm looking at twenty places that are on the app. So. You are, let's say, you, yeah, you are kind of slimming the the influencers. The whatever they are sharing, whatever they're promoting, is is just a handful of places. And uh... um, well, hopefully that it's gonna grow <laughs> a lot more than that, and the choice is uh, is always uh, getting bigger and bigger. Um, but of course, you know. Uh, people use the app not just to get the stuff for free, but also because they like it. For example, there is no point of getting a haircut for free if it's going to be a bad haircut. So, if yeah, you, exactly. uh, but that's what I mean. You are not, you know, obliged to leave a good review about a place if you didn't like it. You can always give an honest review, and it's always appreciated. Yeah, and that's well. that's my point uh, of what I'm asking. Is I mean, now I understand a bit better what you're doing, but. Uh, 
it was more about how we as consumers, right? We as people who follow these influencers and uh, see what they share. There's always this trust that they have to build. And I guess the most successful ones do build uh, some sort of trust with their audiences, right? Yeah. So you guys being kind of like an intermediary between mm -hmm. these influencers and the brands and, you know, how do you think about this trust issue in this, like you say, bubble of uh, influencers generation, social media that we're living in right now? But I think um, each, um... I mean, in our case, each model and uh, outside of the app, each influencer, um, you know, has their own uh, has their own voice and uh, has their own, let's say, like editorial line, um, and uh, they're also free to choose what they want to talk about. And I think the, as you said, the most successful and the true influencers are the ones that, you know, don't lie to their followers and uh, don't. Uh, uh, pretend to have enjoyed something or don't uh, let's say sell out and actually you know speak about the things they like and speak about the things that they don't like openly I think um, the way the app thinks about it is less on the influencer side but more of we're providing a service uh, for models because often when they come to Milan they actually uh, don't know any places to go and uh, when they open the app they can actually uh, see that there are this number of restaurants, there are this number of um, salons and it allows them to discover something new. And when they go on our Instagram page, they can, of course, you know, see the different reviews that other people make. So they can also judge a little bit for themselves. So I think, yeah, the Square app is more on the side of helping models and uh, yeah, helping the people who use the app. And it's basically Instagram based? So you are running besides... Uh, what do you mean? Like all the activity that you generate is specifically targeted at Instagram. Um, Instagram, but also other like review platforms, um, TripAdvisor, Google Maps and Facebook, where you can leave a review about the place. So it's also one of the options for um, for models, how can they get, let's say, more of those credits to spend uh, in, inside the app. And how do you choose the models? Is there like a betting process about, is it just based on numbers, like how many That's followers it. do you have or or do you look at their content and say, well, this is quality, this is not quality? That's uh, a question, you know, if uh, any of the models who uses the app is <laughs> going ah, okay. to it, they're going to be uh, very interested in this topic. Uh, no, there is, of course, yeah, a selection process and uh, it's not only based on numbers. And, um, that's, that's a good thing, that was my concern. Exactly, because I think there are three main criteria, let's say. Uh, first of all, yes, you need to have an open Instagram account because we want, uh, you know, other people to, to see what, uh, what you're doing. And uh, you need to have, you know, let's say minimum 1000 followers because it's, it means that you're a little bit active. Um, then since uh, it is uh, an app focused for models, also the agency matters. Um, so there's like, a ranking of uh, the very, very best agencies and uh, kind of the middle ones and then really new ones that are um, that we we don't avoid them, but you know it's better if you have a, a nicer mother agency. And uh, then there is a like 
a very um, subjective, let's say, criteria of your activity as a model. So we just want to see that your Instagram has uh, some pictures of your modeling work and you're um, like very active and you have something interesting to say as well on your Instagram. So that's a third subjective, yeah. And the activity that you see, how much does it vary between like a random time to some event like Fashion Week? Do you really see a boost? I mean, of course you see a boost, but how low is the inactivity on like, uh, let's say winter in Milan, where there's not many? Well, unfortunately, it's a bit uh, uh, difficult to tell right now because the app launched uh, last month. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we are going to be able to give the statistic in one year time. Um, but actually, I think Milan gets uh, quite busy all year round. Maybe we can say, except for, I mean, August is not the best months to be here. And um, yeah. December, January is is normal. I think it's like in any other country, but um, I think all year round there's a lot of happening because you have the Fashion Week in in winter as well. You have it um, you have it closer to the spring. Then you have it now in the uh, in the summer, and then we come back in September. So actually, there's a fashion activity all year round and. What Milan is trying to do, um, and I think it's a really nice uh, initiative, they're trying to actually create more of um, those, let's say, festivals or, um, yeah, like, let's say, activities uh, all year round to fill in those gaps between the fashion week, because, of course, we see the design week that already introduces something uh, new. There was a photography week, there was a music week a couple of um, months ago. So I think the, the city of Milan is really trying to diversify and to say, okay, we, are, we have a, a lot of fashion, we have design, this is our strengths, but we also have a lot of other things that are happening. Yeah. And they're trying to balance it out in terms of tourism as well, because not to overwhelm the city. Right, in, in a way, tourism here in Italy Pure tourism of people who go to museums is not really Milan most of mm -hmm. the time. And people who go to the seaside is also yeah. not Milan. So, But then we do have these spikes, like you say, Design Week or Fashion Week, where people actually do come. But then, let's say, it's not the most touristic place in Italy, in a way. No, that's definitely... But, but it has the <laughs> facilities. There's, there's everything here. There's big spaces and stadiums and... So it's, it's important, I guess, that people come and see also this modern part of, of Italy. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, the beautiful thing is if you come uh, for a vacation in Milan, you can also get away for a day or two. <laughs> uh, whether you want uh, the sea, whether you want the sightseeing, whether you want uh, anything really. That's the beauty of being in Milan. You have everything right under your nose. Yeah, everything is very close by. It's just a train away. Or... Mm -hmm. And uh, to wrap things up, I guess, uh, what would be one recommendation for someone that is not Italian, that is visiting or that plans on coming here? Or maybe someone that isn't even planning to come here to check out, like a book, a, a, a movie, a, a dish, something Italian that you would be like, okay, this is like, you have to try it. Not something um, about Italy. 
In Milan, there is uh, one place, one restaurant that completely, uh, you know, took my heart away. And if I had to choose uh, something that I would eat for the rest of my life, I would uh, choose that place. <laughs> it's uh, Osteria Conchetta. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, in Navili and it's uh, absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, I stumbled upon it very randomly. I was just walking on the street. Um, when my mom was visiting and um, we saw, oh, this this is a restaurant, we can eat here. We walked in and we had the most amazing meal. Um, you know, you have all the traditional Melanese food, the cotoletta, um, they make a risotto amazing in the big uh, wheel of, um, of cheese uh, with, uh, they flame it up, it's, it's a whole show. Um, like the atmosphere is so lovely. And um, after, yeah, I went to this place, I didn't know about it. And then it turns out that it's actually, you know, quite popular and all of my friends are talking about it. And I'm like, oh, what, really? But uh, that's, I've been there like in a year, I don't know, seven, eight times or so. That's uh, the one recommendation I would give to anyone coming in Milan or even if you haven't, if you live here and haven't been there yet. To someone not coming to Italy, I don't know what would I recommend, to be honest. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, me, uh, like for me, Italy and food is uh, something uh, you can put like uh, equal equality sign <laughs> to, uh, you know, it's a very, you know, close relationship. It's in the soul of every Italian person. And uh, me, even before coming here, I would always watch different um, TV shows. Um, about like different Italian chefs or just uh, uh, traveling around Italy and uh, trying some local dishes and, uh, and things like that. So I would say that if you are not planning to visit Italy anytime soon, but you want to learn more about it, um, you should go online and watch a food documentary. <laughs> yeah, that's always an easy option, right? And you end up hungry, maybe enough to convince you to to go exactly and then and then next thing you know you're in Milan right well thanks so much for your time uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast and uh, I will put down links to your to your page and social media so if anybody wants to check it out it's, it's down there and uh, thanks no thank you so much for having me ciao bye